Welcome to HLB Cross Border Business Talks, HLB's global podcast series on international business topics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm joined today by Bart de Vilder from HLB Netherlands and David East, who's head of FDI at Bureau van Dijk, to discuss the European investment climate and the impact COVID 19 is having on it. So, COVID 19 has had a significant impact on global activity. What does the current investment climate look like across the European region? Uh, David, I'll start with you. Thank you. Um, and thank you for uh, inviting me to be part of this discussion. I think, look, a very simple way of, uh, of, kind of summarizing where we are right now is a fragile climate. And uh, I think, you know, obviously, Bart will probably talk more about that from an M&A perspective. But looking at this from a greenfield FDI perspective, you know, there's a number of things. This is not just the COVID thing hasn't come out of the blue. Obviously, it, it, the pandemic really came out in, in January, February. But there's been a number of uh, issues that have been dampening investor confidence uh, over the past decade. You know, things like, for example, we've had you know, increased protectionism. You know, we got Brexit from 2016 onwards, uh, obviously more recently the trade wars. You know, if we look at just those two areas there, so protectionism and trade wars, they're really impacting or hindering the free flow of goods. If we then look at things like Brexit, you know, Brexit, again, has left a lot of uncertainty. Uncertainty does not really encourage investor confidence. It doesn't inspire much confidence in the investor itself. Um, then, you know, coming to the beginning of this year, we then had this covid uh, this pandemic, this really has accelerated trends, though, I think, or brought forward trends that we were expecting to see maybe, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years from now. It's really brought it all forward. And what we're increasingly seeing at the moment is is more of a turn towards self-dependency, uh, self-sufficiency, if you like, and, and look at that balance versus protectionism. And, and that really is evident in the increased EU screening um, and again, I know this is, this is happening elsewhere around the world, particularly in places like the US, where there's been FDI screening for a number of years. Uh, obviously, the idea really behind the screening measures is to ensure, you know, areas like health, food, infrastructure are affordable. So it's about protecting strategic assets and infrastructure. Um, so I guess if I could summarize, I said the, the current investment climate in the European region, very much fragile, but I don't necessarily see it all as doom and gloom. Great. Um, and Bart, according to recent reports, the, um, the U.S. share of global M&A has declined, um, which has led to an expansion of other regions, most notably Europe, with a 32.3% market share. So why do you think Europe has been able to capitalize on this? Um, yeah, actually, there are two, two main reasons why uh, the market share of, of Europe is, uh, is, is quite good. Um, uh, the degrees of the market share of the U.S., uh, also leads to uh, uh, an, uh, an increase of the uh, the market share of the other uh, markets, of course. Uh, but but uh, yeah, Europe maintained actually the quite the volume, mostly due to uh, a stream of, of mega deals which were there in the the first half year of uh, of 2020. Um, so mainly those those bigger deals uh, uh, make make sure that the, the market share of Europe. Keeps quite quite huge. Um, when you look at the mid market, uh, also Europe suffers a decline in, in the M&A uh, M&A volume. Um, it, it dropped uh, to the end of, of March, and in April it, it also dropped. 
although we see uh, from from May on uh, that, that there is again some uh, increase in, in the M and A volume again. So those two three reasons uh, I mentioned uh, may need to make sure that uh, that Europe can can stay on a, on a quite huge uh, market share of uh, the total global uh, M and A activity. Um, we've also seen that um, you know COVID. While it has brought some challenges, there have been opportunities that have, have arisen over the last sort of six months or so. And for many kind of global businesses, Europe has offered um, significant investment opportunity in key sectors. So where have you seen kind of the biggest growth and opportunity? Um, Bart, I'll start with you. Yeah, uh, when, you, when you look at, uh, at COVID, there were several uh, industries which were impacted during uh, the pandemic uh, uh, qu quite fiercely, uh, but there also were industries which, which weren't uh, impacted at all uh, or even performed better. Um, and when you look at the industries within uh, the, the biggest growth and, and looking at the opportunities on an M&A level, uh, then those industries are mainly the industries where the growth and the opportunities are visible. Uh, so when you look at those industries, it's mainly uh, the, the IT, <coughs> uh, what you see with, uh, with the lockdowns. Um, uh, companies are invest investing in cloud, in cashless uh, payments, in cybersecurity. Uh, so, so around those critical uh, B2B products, it's... it's um, very very uh, large increase in uh, in m a opportunities uh, next to that healthcare is also an, an industry in which uh, which we see uh, bigger growth and uh, and opportunities to uh, to invest in of course the tmt but that's actually an uh, an industry which is quite stable also on m a level um, and the food uh, food industry uh, producers and affiliated uh, companies uh, th there are lots of, of growth opportunities in there. Uh, so you see that also the, the food industry and mainly the, the IT uh, industry, they performed quite well during the, the COVID or even better. Uh, and that's also visible uh, to, to the M&A activity, which, uh, which is in there. Um, an industry which was increasing before uh, COVID was tech. Uh, we see that tech is still on a, a quite a high level uh, but not as high as expected but it's still still a good uh, good industry to to invest in and uh, our expectation is that those three uh, industries i mentioned uh, are still going to increase uh, further on from now because they they, they keep uh, very important uh, for um, for the for, for for the opportunities which are in in europe uh, and they still uh, show growth uh, in 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 the revenues. So also uh, the the bigger parties, strategic parties, uh, private equity parties, they still will be, will be interested in the, in those industries. Uh. Yeah, I mean, if if I may add to that, I mean, I I, I hundred percent agree with Bart. I mean, those are big. Uh, growth industries. I think if there's a, a, an element of caution to bring into that, particularly from a greenfield perspective, or, or perhaps more so from a greenfield perspective, is that you know we saw a slump in healthcare FDI in greenfield, um, and primarily that comes about because of this increased FDI screen. I think there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment, particularly within the EU, of what how this is all going to be, how this is all going to unfold. Um, but certainly in terms of growth areas, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, cybersecurity definitely is on the increase. AI, clean tech, uh, e-commerce, med tech, enterprise software, all these type of areas that have done particularly well during the economic downturn. 
that's you know, as a result of this uh, this this pandemic, they really uh, appear to be you know presenting a lot of opportunity. And I think you know we need to kind of make make this point very clear on this particular podcast is that you know these areas. It's really about reinforcing national resiliency. I think off the back of COVID in particular, I think government's now looking about how they can make their nations more resilient. So part of that is the protectionism of protecting strategic assets, but equally it does open up opportunities. Um, so I, I agree a lot with what I said there in terms of the big growth areas from both M&A, and I think those do apply as well to the greenfield, but perhaps not in such a short term. They're perhaps longer, mid to longer term opportunities in greenfield. And, and, and is a, if I may add to that, uh, <clears throat> there are other opportunities uh, coming from the COVID period, and that's mainly that um, there, there will be an increase in uh, in, in distressed M&A, uh, uh, consolidation of, for instance, consumer products uh, sector. Uh, so, so there will be other opportunities which uh, which come up from industries which do not show a big growth right now. Uh, but uh, on the M&A level, there will be uh, lots of opportunities based on those distressed uh, areas and the, uh, and the consolidation areas. Uh, so the strategic uh, parties and, and, and mainly of private equity will, will act to, uh, to those opportunities which are in the market right now. I, I think that's a good point, actually, Bart, because, you know, Tyson Krupp, for example, have, have, have offloaded one of its divisions, the elevator divisions. And I think that was one of the standout deals of the first half of 2020. Uh, it was quite a significant one where they were, I think it was their elevator division, they decided to, you know, sell on. And that, I think, was private equity as part of the consortium that it was sold to. Yeah, I think that carve-outs will, will also be a part of the distressed uh, uh, M&A part. So uh, the, the example you mentioned is, is one of the, the bigger ones. Uh, and it's a good example of what's going to happen in the, in the next half of year, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And David, you kind of touched on some of the greenfield FDI projects that are um, taking place across Europe. Um, what are some of the uh, some of the you know the FDI projects that business leaders should be aware of? Sure. I mean, there's a number of quite interesting projects that have happened or been announced over the first half of this year. Um, you know, Daimler, for example, the owners of Mercedes-Benz announced in May it will open nine uh, electric vehicle battery plants across seven locations in Europe, North America and Asia, investing over a billion dollars. So, again, as we move towards you know, this, 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 this new era of electric vehicles and so on, we're seeing increased investments, particularly SK Innovation. I think we're another one who's invested heavily in Europe. Uh, in these kind of electric vehicle battery plants. Uh, we've recently heard this week Merck uh, have announced they're going to invest $1.3 billion in a research hub in London opposite King's Cross Station, which again with Brexit as a, as a backdrop to that, it's quite interesting that they've selected London. Um, Amazon uh, have, have announced and they're, they're one of many actually, many companies that have been mentioning or, or been looking to um, expand their data center footprint across the European region. They've so Amazon announced a few months ago that they were going to invest, uh, sorry, a few weeks ago they were going to invest 320 million euros in a data center in Ireland, and they've also been opening numerous fulfillment centers across the region. Uh, and there's also been a number of significant renewable energy plants, uh, particularly in Spain and Italy. Um, over the per, uh, first half of this year, you know, if we take into consideration that both you know, Spain and Italy have been significantly hit by the pandemic, 
there are actually some pretty significant greenfield announcements by both NL Green Power in Spain and by Powertis in Italy to create new solar projects, um, which would, you know, this is kind of looking ahead now towards the next big issue that's going to kind of come to the fore again. I think climate change took a bit of a backseat during the pandemic, but I suspect that will come back to the fore again uh, as things die down a little bit. I guess if there's a concern at the moment, there's, there's a couple of concerns. First of all, Europe seems to be entering into a second wave. Now, whether that's the case, the first wave never went away, or there is definitely a a notable second wave happening, this may again impact the recovery of these economies in terms of, you know, how they emerge from this crisis, how they attract the investment. And I I guess that part of that plays into the M&A as well. I mean, if we look at Greenfield FDI into Europe, uh, comparing 2019 versus 2020 over the first half of the year, the actual number of announced greenfield projects was down 40%. Okay, if we look at it globally, it's down 48%. So you could argue that you know Europe's done pretty well out of the back of that. 53% decline in capex, that compares with 52% globally. So it's pretty much on par on a global perspective. Then if we look at you know what the opportunities are, what I expect to see over the coming months and, and I guess you know months, quarters, years, with this kind of change now towards you know particularly in production companies now is not so much looking at low cost as being the key driver it's going to be more about strengthening their value chains and making them more resilient and we're beginning to enter a new era of regionalization okay so this whole concept of internationalization globalization i'm not saying it's dead but it's certainly taking more of a backseat as companies start looking more will start looking more regional um, so again, I, saw, I expect to see a lot of countries on the periphery of the EU starting to really benefit from companies bringing back or, or, or investing in manufacturing projects uh, that are perhaps smaller in scale, but will enable the companies themselves to make their, um, their value chains, supply chains more resilient. That's, that's also what we see that uh, production is brought back to the, to the European region uh, and that mainly the um, the, the supply chain is being strengthened by uh, by bringing it back to a regional place uh, and not the globalization side. So uh, what, what you mentioned, David, is exactly what we uh, also see as a trend here uh, in Europe, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, though, as we look at that, because I think what we're going to see is not going to be the mega projects of the ones that have invested in Asia over the past you know, two decades or so. But I think we're going to see a lot more you know, 3D printing automation is making manufacturing in Europe a lot more cost competitive when compared with China. Uh, and let's not forget, Europe is a core consumer market as well. So I think there's a number of reasons that stack up as to why we're beginning to see this trend really emerging. Um, and yeah, I, I think as well, you know, the, the size of the projects are going to be a lot smaller, but it's really about talent and market access. I think those are going to be some of the key drivers that we're going to have to look out for over the coming months and years. And in terms of like the, the recovery for um, cross-border transactions and how, how do you see that, you know, what, what time frame do you expect to see in that? I mean, it's very hard to predict, but um, what sort of, pattern do you think it might it might take but i'll start with you um if we look at the, the the number of deals it's i think it's likely to pick up after the after the summer um that's unless uh, there will be uh, actually a second wave because 
second wave can uh, can interpret the, the 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 developments we see right now. Um, but but what we see actually right now is that the number of deals actually are picking up already, um, and I, I think September October will uh, will go on even even more even more. Um, few reasons for that. Uh, the main reason is that. Um, there are a few uh, deals which are de- being delayed, um, and, and catching up those deals will will increase the M&A volume. Uh, and private equity has still lots of dry powder, uh, which which will they use? Um, they will use it quite aggressively, I guess. Uh, but there will be more wisely decisions to 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 enter into a, to a transaction. Um, our expectation is that, uh, as we already mentioned, M and A, uh, which are distressed, will uh, will increase. Um, so w- our expectation is that the, the next half of year uh, there will be an increase in in, uh, in volume, but the real recovery will be, uh, I guess, around mid 2021. Uh, if if nothing happens uh, with the with the second wave and uh, increasing the pandemic, but that's that's how we look at it right now as a, as an expectation for the recovery of the market. And I, I agree with Bart. I think he's absolutely right. I think from an M and A perspective, that certainly makes a lot of sense. I think M and A is more likely to recover quicker than greenfield. I think greenfield right now is in a bit of a. There's lots more connotations right now in terms of shortening supply chains. For example, these things can't be done overnight. Uh, and again, I think this whole you know, threat of a potential second wave and the impact that would have could potentially slow things down further. I think UNCTAD mentioned uh, maybe about a month or so again. So UNCTAD being the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development mentioned there'd be about a 40% decline in FDI uh, in 2020 and they're forecasting another 5% to 10% in 2021. I suspect in the midterm, so maybe a year out or, or maybe a bit longer, we'll start seeing Greenfield recover uh, in the European region. I think there's a tremendous opportunity as well. I think there are signs of green shoots already. Um, from the database that we have, we're seeing the number of rumors of companies looking to invest in Europe is increasing. Okay, so th- this is one good sign, I think. Second of all, I think around this whole production, looking at production and business services to a certain extent, then this re-engineering of supply chains, I think there's a huge opportunity for Europe. Okay, I think now they need to think, you know, about how they can really, you know, capitalize on this this, this reshuffle that's going to take place on a global level. Um, and particularly as we move into this era of, of regionalism, I think there's a big opportunity for, for Greenfield, but I would say it's probably more mid-term recovery as opposed to short-term. Great. Well, we'll look forward to seeing what will happen over the next um, next six to 12 months. Thank you both Thank very you. much for your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about this topic and other cross-border business insights, visit www.hlb.global forward slash insights.